I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Well, it's one of those turns of the year when... uh, I'm stripping down the remains of last summer's sweet pea crop, collecting a few pods of seed, and of course enjoying this really lovely autumn weather. Subtle shades of uh, autumn, I think they say, and the Shiza stylus is in flower, bright pink and red flowers in October, and the Forsythia. Uh, lots of people are uh, decry that shrub as being almost too easy and bright yellow in spring but at this time of the year when it takes on its autumn colour it's an absolute delight. Bronze leaves first of all and then turning to bright yellow. Thanks to this week's sponsor Haylove Plants Limited Herschel Worcestershire Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to exchange some news, views, a bit of seasonal advice and uh, hopefully answer some of your gardening quandaries along the way. A more gentle time this week, getting the lawns cut, some uh, land start to be dug and manured. And with sweet peas, you know, this is the week when we do the sowing, but you need to watch for mice. They've been a real problem to us at Hyde Hall. Mice, shrews and voles and their sense of smell. Do you know they can find exactly where a single sweet pea seed is sown and you see that little inverted cone where they stick their noses in, find the seed and you might just see one or two little bits of uh, shell left on the surface. Absolute beggars they are. And so... um, We're sowing in pots this year. I normally like to sow direct in the open ground, but at Hyde Hall we'll have them in pots, keep them protected from the rodents, and then plant out in a few weeks' time. We have a bit of a quandary over the calendula trial because uh, some of the cultivars are uh, full of seed heads and giving up the ghost. Uh, We'll need to strip those out while others, some of the more vigorous kinds, are shooting out uh, with uh, new growth from the base and it's coming into bud. It looks to me as if we could well get uh, flower from these uh, secondary shoots well into November. We're learning quite a lot about uh, chrysanthemum poppins too. You know, they were bred by the Curly family to provide 11 centimetre pot plants in full flower at this time to uh, pop into gaps among summer flowering bedding. Uh, They were not marketed as as perennial, but uh, where the yellows have overwintered in some of our flower beds, 
they're now monster plants, must be two foot across and more, and just a globe of colourful flowers. I think we'll have a go at taking some cuttings, even at this time of the year and over winter. They'll provide stock, and we'll take quite a lot of cuttings in March, pinch them several times and just see how big a plant we can grow to have uh, in containers next autumn. What's in the news? Well, uh, there's greetings this week from uh, Chris Beatty's in uh, Chicago. He tells me they had another fantastic spring in the garden trade, possibly better than 2020 for some parts of uh, the US. It started uh, strong, although uh, ended with a bit of a whimper due to poor weather in June in uh, some parts of that uh, large country. A call from the RHS The Garden magazine asking my forecast on what 2022 holds for us gardeners. Who knows? This is a really tough one. And really for every spring, it depends on the weather. Fine weekends from Mothering Sunday to mid-June and gardening sores. Wet, cold weekends and uh, too many of us find other things to do. What I can accurately forecast is prices are set to rise across the board. And people's spending is likely to reduce as uh, all those debts we've incurred over the last year or two have to be repaid. Although experience teaches that gardening prospers during recessionary pressures, you know, if you uh, just have a little to spend, uh, it goes quite a long way in the garden. I can tell you that uh, Grow Your Own is set to remain popular, although not so much as uh, traditional rows across allotment plots and the veg gardens. Our new generation of gardeners want instant And I see the sale of uh, bigger plants in larger containers increasing considerably. And in the case of fruit and veg grown in this way, then it comes to harvesting more quickly and suits those people who are uh, a bit impatient for results. Homeowners too, I think, will be looking for bright colours to lift spirits. And the new straw flower, Xerochrism, the Granvia Gold and a new improved uh, pink, cultivar are likely to be popular if the visitor reaction uh, at last month's Chelsea show to some plants we had uh, on display are any guide. People just had to touch them. The um, straw flower common name is appropriate and they are quite sort of brittle to touch. Very useful too that uh, if you cut them young they dry like the uh, annual seed-raised helichrysum. Listeners' questions? Well, a picture sent in from Mel of seven-foot Leyland cypress going brown. Pretty obvious from uh, the picture that it was drought and the hot spell of weather when we had 90-degree temperatures are a likely cause. When large specimen evergreens are planted out from pots, it's worth uh, just troweling down every few weeks to check the moisture level in compost, supporting a really tight root ball. I mean, even when well watered, 
the water can run off if the root ball gets uh, particularly dry. You can counteract this by watering with uh, warm, note warm, not hot, warm water to which a splash of washing up liquid is added. Both warm water and the uh, liquid breaks surface tension and helps to re-wet even very dry compost. And also Muriel asks, what homeowners should expect to pay to get an apple tree plumed? Well, a talented and trained person will cost at least what you pay to call out a plumber or an electrician. Unfortunately, uh, good fruit tree pruners are all too few uh, and far between. And where apple trees have grown too big, in Muriel's case it's a Bramley, which is, of course, very vigorous and uh, tends to make a big tree, the best option is to, to fetch it out and replant with other apples in a, a fresh position using a dwarfing rootstock. You should remember that uh, the harder you prune, the stronger things grow, especially in the case of apples. And so if you're sawing back a big bramley to try and retain its size, the chances are it'll grow stronger and bigger than ever. What you can, of course, do is that where you've got some young, strong branches, you can bend them over in a semicircle and tie them, almost like um, a boy's bow and arrow, and that restriction on the bending of young growth will encourage the formation of uh, fruit buds, and of course with fruiting, you slow down the growth overall. If you have um, a query or a question, then please just uh, email it to us this week in the garden at gmail.com. Last week we spoke to Graham Ross, one of Australia's most famous horticultural broadcasters. Quite honestly, we chatted for so long uh, that we thought it best to cut the interview in half. Last week we shared Graham's stories and recommendations from around the world. This week, you'll get to hear about Graham's native Australia, the flora, the scale of the place and the way that the climate is changing. I started by bluntly asking Graham to uh, bring us up to speed with Australia. Well, Peter, Australia is, it's a very large landmass and very, very old. I think the bottom southwest of the country is equal or a little bit older than parts of Scandinavia. So it's a very ancient landmass, but we were connected to Gondwana, which was the great landmass which included India, Africa, Antarctica, and South America. So those landmasses were all connected and we were part of that. They split up many millions of years ago and we moved from sort of what might be the Indian Ocean a bit more into the Pacific. And the whole continent, the whole island rotated, we think, about 16 or 17 times. But in that process of moving from the, the south of the planet into more of a central region, of, uh, you know, but just below the equator, it, the climates have changed dramatically. And as a consequence, where the whole country was covered with tropical rainforest, and then that evolved into desert, and then the eucalypts, the great 
Southland tree of the nation, a thousand species of eucalypts, it spread right across the country. And we have a thousand species of them because every nook and cranny of climate actually supports a eucalypt, supports a gum tree of one form or another. We're very different in the south of the hemisphere. In the north, you guys tend to have a lot of genera with a few species. We have few genera, like Australia really has only five major, we've got a lot of minor genera, but we've got really five major genus, and each one, the eucalypts, a thousand species, the wattles, 900 species, the grevilleas, 600 species. So we're very species rich, but not a lot of genera in our bushland and our national parks. And then, of course, things changed in 1788 when you guys arrived and brought with them uh, the gardens of England, a touch of the gardens of France, and then over the last 250 years, we've had an import of people from China, Japan, the Americas, South America, more from, uh, from Ireland and Scotland and, and the UK generally, and from Germany and the continent. So our gardens are an evolution of, of ornamental horticulture and native horticulture. So in our own garden, we've, we've got a massive American pin oak, Quercus palustris, which is 90, 95 metres in either direction. So it's 110 years old, our home's 110 years old, and the tree was planted very early on. So we have this enormous American pin oak, which covers all of our house, a third of our property and half my neighbour's house. Uh, <laughs> so it, it provides the best compost and all the leaves in autumn. So, but around that, we've got ginkgos and we have native eucalypts. So our gardens generally are a great combination of, of native trees and exotic trees. And of course, our wildflowers are second to none, although South Africa may challenge us closely, but I think we've got more species of wildflowers in Western Australia than South Africa does. It has a lot, but I think we have just a fraction more. So visitors come to see the wildflowers. They come to see the East Coast. They come to see the, the marine life and the coastal conditions uh, of our gardens. And they come to Sydney and then they say, oh, can we go to Perth tomorrow? I said, it's, it's eight hours to get to Perth. <laughs> oh, really? You know, it's an eight-hour journey to get to the other side of the continent. Oh, I didn't realise that. I said, yeah, yeah, you come from a small joint. You know? <laughs> when you come to Australia, and I must admit, we've had some great horticultural travellers to Australia. Martin Slocock, who you remember, a dear friend and colleague from the RHS, Martin and his dear wife came to Australia and they wouldn't leave. I, I kept bumping into them in the Northern Territory and Queensland and Western Australia and in the centre. They love the desert country and the wildflowers of the centre. And there are many people like Martin and his wife who travel through Australia seriously looking at our gardens and looking at our wildflowers. So it's a, it's a combination, Peter, of, of why people come and get bitten by the bug because when you combine it with the weather and the laid-back style, it's very inviting. Yeah. When I arrived in Melbourne for the first time, it was like being in England 
30 years back, I mean, you still had elm trees, absolutely magnificent elm trees and a slightly milder climate. So, I mean, they'd bedded out with Primirob conica, for goodness sake. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I I was charmed by Melbourne and then up on the Gold Coast, quite different again, yeah. It's interesting. I actually love the challenge of of both radio and television for a national audience because... I, I know in Queensland, we're just planting our tomatoes uh, this week. Queensland is harvesting their tomatoes. Victoria, uh, Melbourne, where you've been, they're just sowing their tomato seed indoors. <laughs> so they won't plant anything out for another month. The climates are quite different throughout the, the south, the central warm temperate, and then the subtropical and then the tropical right up north. So the climates are very different. And then on top of that, of course, you've got the soil variations as well. But the climates per se, are, are they sort out gardeners very quickly. How on earth do you cope with that then? On this podcast, of course, I'm aware that we have listeners around the world, but then they're listening to know what's happening here. Yes. But in your case, how can you tell people when to sow tomatoes when, when the season's well, upside down? What? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. We have a, a, a fellow who rings me from Copenhagen who is a, an expat Aussie and um, he, he rings occasionally because he's trying, to, he's trying to grow Australian native bottle brush and eucalypts and wattles and the like in his glass house in Copenhagen. And I said, you know, you must be spending all of your money trying to keep the damn thing hot, you know, warm. To keep, <laughs> you know, you get a name and it'll be a Peter and then it'll give Godalming, it'll be the suburb. So I, I know where you live and then the question will be about citrus or roses or lawns. So you need to have a good understanding of the suburbs of Australia and I'm pretty, pretty good with that because I've, I've always travelled as a kid uh, with my parents. So I know where most of the places are around town. Occasionally, country towns stump me a little, country towns and outback, because now the signal, the radio signal just goes so far that people from really remote parts of Australia, and I must admit, whilst I know the suburbs of Brisbane and Sydney and Melbourne and Perth and Adelaide and in Hobart, quite often they'll ring me from Upper Kambunga West, and I have no idea where it is. And I'll say, whereabouts? And they say, oh, we're near Wollongong. Oh, really? <laughs> or, or, you know, they're, they're way out of Kalgoorlie or somewhere. So, and they'll say, oh, you'll know, you'll know our biggest town. It's five hours away. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the nearest town is five hours away. Yeah, the nearest town will be five hours away. So, but they're gardening there, Peter. That's what I love about it. Yeah, the, a woman rang me uh, 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 last year and she was growing sweet peas. And I'm describing, and I must admit, I didn't look at her, where she was from. And I, and I was trying to give her some tips on her sweet peas. And she said, but Graham, she said, it's the extreme heat. And I said, yeah. I, I, and then I looked at where she lived and she, she was on the edge of the West Australian desert. <laughs> But she was on the road between Adelaide and Perth. She was at a petrol station eight hours from anywhere, eight hours from the next town in either direction, east or west, and she was growing sweet peas and roses. And I just loved that, you know. Gardeners are wonderful people. They uh, they are indeed. Um, People ask why I keep going to Chelsea, and really 
it's to meet the people. Yeah. And, and, and as you go through the show, they're different people. You know, the first two days it's members who are pretty well informed and the next two days are people who, who are not at work uh, on the Thursday and Friday and then Saturday and Sunday we've got the actual workers and, and, and they're different people in each of those days and, and, and sometimes they can be all over you, you know, if they've been watching or listening for a, a few years to actually meet someone face to face, they get quite excited. I, I watch them talking to you and I can see the, you know, as you say, uh, the ones up front you know, the David Austin Jr. says good day, and you know, and uh, all those guys uh, early on in the week, and as it goes through, and they're in order, uh, you know, and you're explaining a tomato or a new marigold to them, and you know, they're in raptures, taking every uh, bit of information down, and it's the same here. That they're just beautiful people. And how have you managed them with? Uh the current problem with virus? I mean, presumably tours are out, are they, or do you do home tours? We're doing New South Wales. We've got a strange situation. We do have, from 1900, a Commonwealth. So the whole country is covered by a Commonwealth and the capital is in Canberra. We have all these individual states and never before, even in war, we've never had the situation that we have now. And that is where the power is still vested in the premiers of the states. So when the state health department advises the premier, we need to lock down or we need to lock down this suburb or we need to close the transport or we need to close my hair's long because I haven't been to uh, to a hairdresser. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but how about mine? I haven't been to a hairdresser for two months and uh, because where we live, we're in, we're in a bit of a soft lockdown. But Victoria has been locked down the longest of any state or country in the world. So the Victorian Premier, against the wishes of the Prime Minister, actually closed his state down. And it's been closed on and off for oh, 18 months. It's in economic stress, even more so than what the economy is suffering. So New South Wales has kept reasonably open and we've had some tours around New South Wales and it's funny Kent said to me our son who manages keeps us all on on the straight and narrow he said to me earlier this year he said look we're not sure what's happening with the other states we've got tours ready to go for Tasmania and Queensland and Western Australia and South Australia and we're just waiting for them to all open up but he said why don't you put together a tour in New South Wales of all of your favourites, your favourite gardens. Oh, I said, really, can I do that? He said, yeah, why not have a shot? So we've just launched that, which is not only some of the oldest, but some of the biggest, some of the smallest. The three botanic gardens, Sydney, Mount Annan, which is the Australian native botanic garden, and then the Blue Mountains Botanic Gardens, which is it's a cool climate garden in the heart of the Blue Mountains National Park, a heritage, world heritage listed site. So we've included those. The Japanese garden, which was built after the war because we had a lot of Japanese soldiers who were imprisoned here uh, after the war and there was a breakout. There is a film made about it called The Cowra Breakout and a, a lot of them were killed and a lot of Aussies were killed and there's a beautiful, beautiful garden which a Japanese friend of mine who's passed away now, Ken Nakajima, he designed this beautiful Japanese garden in an Australian landscape. You'd love it, Peter. It's just full of, of emotion and horticulture and landscape scenery and, 
And then you've got this overlay of the Japanese design, which is just so beautiful. So I've included that uh, Mayfield Garden, which is our, our largest garden. It's had something like $30 million spent on it. So it's a in fact, the owner lives in London, lives in Mayfield. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give you his address. You can go and say good day to him. <laughs> He's a lovely guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I'd ra- I think I'd rather come to Australia and see it, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think so. So we've included all these gardens and that'll be March in 2022. But we've got two tours to Japan. Uh, we've got a tour, to, a tour that we've just announced to Chelsea 22 uh, in May, and of course, uh, with the the decades rolling around, Floriade is back on. We normally have four tours to Floriade, but we've decided it's a bit risky because it's a lot of money to set up the tour to have it fail. So we've only we're running one at this stage, and that will be uh, late spring, early early summer, maybe about May June. So we've got those four international tours. We normally have 25. Goodness. 25 tours a year, but COVID has absolutely smashed us. But the other side of the coin, because I'm the founding chair of the Australian Garden Council, which the Prime Minister uh, helped me set up, the previous Prime Minister, back in 2015, and they funded us, fortunately, bless them, um, we keep a a very close watch on on, uh, gardening numbers and, and we've only got three pillars. One of them is to support uh, and engage with teenagers because we've lost our connection with all of our teenagers because the industry's been making uh, t- busy making too much money and not focused on the future. Uh, we, we are engaging with home gardeners and with community gardens. And the third one is international tourism because if we can kick gardening tourism uh, off for Australia, it'll increase employment, increase uh, chances and increase salaries so they're the three pillars. But between March 20 and March 2021, we had an additional two and a half million Australians join the fraternity. So we're, we're sitting on about 8.2, 8.5 million gardeners in Australia at the moment gardening. And we're, uh, the thing that gave us such a shock and the industry a shock, in February, March 2020, the industry sold eight and a half billion punnets of seedlings. Eight and a half billion. Now, I don't remember anything even remotely getting to a billion, let alone eight billion. So yeah. we sold hundreds of millions of seed packets. They cleaned the garden centres out yeah. and the nurseries. We just sold out. Yeah. So the gardening fraternity is absolutely booming and so is our garden club, the Garden Clinic Club, COVID has had a silver lining because people locked in at home who can't get out other than go to the shops or go and get vaccinated, they're at home gardening and so are the kids. And there's a lot of stress and a lot of mental pressure on all those people and gardening is helping to relieve that enormously. It would be fair to say that in um, the States, in North America uh, and in Europe, it's exactly the same experience. I mean, uh, Mr Fothergill, I think, is selling seeds in Australia. Here in the UK, uh, the first two weeks in lockdown, his business increased 400%. Well, we had a very interesting situation. I never expected this to happen, but I've ended up 
in the last quarter of my life engaging with politicians. And I realise if you want to get things done at the level that I want the changes to happen, I've got to engage with state and federal governments. I've got to talk to the Prime Minister. I've got to talk to the ministers. I've got to talk to the Premier. I've got to talk to these guys because I don't have time. The industry doesn't have time. I've got to get our TAFE education, our young people coming out of high school. I've got to get them into into training and apprenticeship. And I can't sit around and wait for this to, to evolve. It's got to happen sooner than later. And the best way to do that is to push down from the top. Our 40th anniversary on radio was Easter Saturday 2020. And I was very lucky. Mark Vasilewski rang me, dear old Mark from Royal Parks, London. Yeah, dear fellow. And and he rang in to wish us happy birthday. A lot of people rang in for our 40th birthday, which was just lovely. But the minister, national federal minister for agriculture rang in, uh, wished us a happy birthday and thanked us for what we did and yada, yada. And I said, look, minister, you know, COVID, it looks like it's going to be horrendous. And I said, you've just announced that a lot of shops, food and banks and what have you are essential services. But I said, you know, I think if people are going to be locked in their homes, they're going to be doing a lot of gardening. I said, is there any chance that you could include garden centres as essential services? And he, he came back, he's only a young fellow, he came back with the most fulsome answer on how gardening is so important and essential for mental de-stressing and for the community health. And the answer went on for, for two minutes. So I said, well, I, under, I assume, Minister, that you're going to include it. He said, consider it done. Now, that, <laughs> it was just incredible. And, and the nursery industry uh, tape recorded the interview, sent it to their members, their 6,000 members throughout Australia, and they remained, in the main, they've remained open ever since. So there's been a bit of a lockdown in Victoria because the Premier's a bit bolshy down there, so he, he's closed <laughs> them down. I've r- written to him uh, and I've said, look, can you at least open the garden centres for click and collect? So he agreed to that. So I'm able to use, I guess, you know, my notoriety in a way um, positively uh, which I'm, I'm really thrilled that that's happened. And so many garden centres have, have been able to remain open for visitation so that they must wear a mask and they've got to be self-distancing and all of that. People can still buy their, their fertilisers and their seedlings and their shrubs and their trees and, you know, and buy a geranium and put a smile on their face. We've been very, very lucky in that sense. The remarkable thing is that we can mirror that. Yes, we did an open letter to the Prime Minister how important it was to uh, open garden centres when everything else was closed. Uh, and fortunately, uh, he made that decision too. Yes. Uh, and, and without yeah. question, it kept people sane to be able to yes. go out and grow something. Yes, yeah. Ab- absolutely. And I think the older folk cope a little bit better, but I think the younger ones, even the younger parents, <clears throat> I think they're struggling, Peter. I think they're really struggling. And, and gardening's one of the few things that keeps them sane. Uh, had, you, had you been with us in September at Chelsea, we took 1,200 rooted croissant cuttings in <laughs> July. 
Yeah. And ha- and gave every child in a comprehensive school, that's 11 to 18, the chance to pot one, take it home, grow it through the summer, and then bring it back in September. And the best we took to Chelsea. And yeah. six of those uh, students actually came to the show. Isn't that um, great? But you have to go out, Graham, don't you? You know, you can't sit on your backside and say, young people don't garden. You've got to go out and, and you've got to show them. Yes. Uh, Graham, we're entering uh, winter now. You're just coming out of it. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, Australian winters? Well, it, it, it's interesting. Um, I'm on a radio station in Sydney that is full of very likely more climate deniers than any other station in Australia. I'm a bit of an outlier because as a gardener, as a horticulturist, I'm aware that things are changing. If I went to Japan to see the wisteria on the same date that I went in 1980, we wouldn't see one of them. It's changed imperceptibly about a day a year, but a day a year in 40 years is a month. And it's very likely the best example. When I get politicians and they say, oh, I don't know about this climate change. And I say, well, I'll give you an example. If, if I went to see autumn foliage in Japan in November, uh, or if I went to see uh, flowering cherry blossoms in spring in April, and if I went the same dates that I went in 1980 or even 1987 or 88, I wouldn't see any autumn colour and I wouldn't see flowering cherries. And they, that resonates. They, and they say, why? I said, because the bleeding climate has changed and it changes imperceptibly. You don't notice it unless you keep going back there and you go there to see the wisteria. And then suddenly it's not there. So we've had to change our dates. Uh, every couple of years we move our date and they've all moved in Japan in particular because we're looking uh, at a specific climate time uh, and flowering season uh, about a month. Now, our seasons in, in Sydney, in particular where I live in Sydney, just about 40 minutes uh, northwest of the city of the Sydney, of the CBD, uh, which is a great tree area and lovely sort of gardening. It's an old gardening suburb. And our, our winters are getting a little bit colder. We normally only get one or two frosts, which is uh, a bit surprising maybe for you guys, but we occasionally... Not every year, but our winters will be a bit colder. We are noticing because there's, there's a change in the Pacific Ocean and also in the Indian Ocean. And the impact, we've always looked to the east. I've always questioned that. They always look for what's happening in the Pacific Ocean. But our weather comes from, from the west, the Indian Ocean. And some years ago, the Indian Dipole, which is a... Uh, a climatic event that happens in the Indian Ocean itself, it's changing and changing dramatically. And we're now getting much, much more rain and more droughts. And we've had horrendous bushfire. So our droughts are leading to the worst bushfires that we've ever experienced in Australia. And we're getting as Germany experienced as the UK is experiencing. We're now getting more floods. We're getting much heavier rain and, and at different times of the year. And it looks like we're heading into a what we call a wet spring. Now, we've had the odd wet spring, but nothing like their forecasting. We had a storm, Peter, last week. We were lucky. We were so lucky. The storm came from the west through the state of New South Wales. On the Bureau of Meteorology map, 
It was black and blue and orange. It was the worst of the colours. And I knew, I thought, well, on the radio this weekend, everyone's going to be talking about their gardens are going to be shredded. The hail came down bigger than a tennis ball. The hail came down bigger than a tennis ball. Now, we've not had that sort of hail ever in my lifetime. And the Bureau said, we've never had that sort of hail. Now, we were lucky. Our garden missed it. Uh, It split and went north of Sydney and south of Sydney. And both of those regions and the gardens and the councils to the north and south of Sydney were absolutely shredded. Now, this is, this is part of a changing climate that we're experiencing. And it's not so much our winters are getting colder, but our, our wetter periods are getting longer and wetter, much more rain. Uh, and our dry seasons are getting longer and drier. So that's what the weather is doing to us with climate change. Quite frightening. It is. And I think there's nothing worse than hail. Yeah. You know, as gardeners, we can cope with most things, heavy rain, gale force winds, hot sunshine, but hail, there's nothing you can do. It's demoralising, Peter. It's demoralising hail. It just shreds all of your efforts, all of your dreams of the of the uh, of the tulips that are going to come out, or the or, or the dahlias that are going to bloom for you, uh, or the camellias that are about to bloom. When they just get shredded in front of your eyes, that's that's really demoralising. And and I could feel that on the radio for those people who rang me last weekend. I I could feel uh, their their despair. And and you feel like a, a minister of religion. You know, it's 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 hard to console them because they're just so desperate. Yeah. I spoke to um, a gardener in Italy where hail is more common and, and he netted his vegetable plot. So we will have to find ways. We usually do, don't we? And Graham, can you give us a, a, a quick tip on what we should be doing as we enter winter? Yes, I think winter is one of the, I must say cold is the most limiting factor in gardening and, and, and it does limit plant growth. So maybe do a little bit more indoors. And indoor, even indoor plants in our climate is hugely popular, but maybe start looking at growing some indoor plants to keep your greenery in the scenery indoors, whilst outside it might be a bit bleak. Graham, it's an absolute joy to speak to you <laughs> and to see you on this uh, Zoom. Sadly, <laughs> my listeners can't see you. Uh, I, I can't thank you enough, uh, and I've, I very much look forward to uh, welcoming you here uh, uh, back to the UK. But in the meantime, if people want to find details of your tours, where do they go? Simple, rostours.com. So there we are, rostours.com. Uh, uh, very much look forward to see you and an absolute joy to speak to you today. Thank you. Look look forward to catching up, Peter. I give you a big hug. I have missed catching up with you. I thank you so much for taking an interest in what's happening down under, my friend. This week, a quote from Jeremy Clarkson. Those who can do, those who can't teach, and those who can't teach, judge. <laughs> I'll leave that to uh, all the flower show judges to uh, contemplate. Although a number of our best judges have been uh, 
very good exhibitors too. Thanks to this week's sponsor, Hayloft Plants Limited, Herschel Worcestershire, to my producer, Rich Jarman, and of course, to you for listening. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.